0: Episode 125 of the PJ Archive is a phone interview I did with the American choreographer, dancer, actress, singer and filmmaker, Tony Basil, who's best known for the international number one hit single, Mickey. Tony has worked with some of the biggest names in show business, and, as you'll hear in this memorable conversation from 2009, She's a great character. First of all, what's what's happening with you career-wise at the moment? You're always incredibly busy, aren't you?
1: I've been working this last year with Bette Midler's Caesar Palace show, The Showgirl Must Go On, as well as the other legendary woman of our time, Tina Turner's World Tour, which actually was in the UK this last year.
0: Did you come over with it?
1: No, I wasn't able to because I was over with that. But, um, you know, I did go over for the DVD shooting. Would
0: I be right in assuming that once you've choreographed a show, you kind of leave it alone? Or do you have to keep checking on it?
1: Yeah, you do keep checking up on it. And then if there's replacements or they want to add a song or take a song away, uh, you know, then you rejoin.
0: Yeah. And your relationship with Bette Midler goes back a long way, doesn't it?
1: As does Tina's. Let's see, that's in 75, and actually I choreographed, did a disco tune that Tina did. I did her first tour, oh, it wasn't even a tour, her first club show after she left Ike. Yeah.
0: What are your favorite moments so far of working with the both? We-
1: you know, with Beth, when we're working, we're on a very heavy working relationship. Hmm. But when we're shopping,
0: <laughs>
1: it's a different relationship. So uh, we kind of have a uh, little schizophrenic uh, relationship, so to speak. But, uh, you know, I have to say there's a similarity to both women. They're both extraordinarily hard workers, and they both have their hands in the whole project. They don't walk away and let somebody do it, and then you drop them into the show. It is their show, Hmm. and it has their stamp on it.
0: And how far ahead are you booked? I mean, what have you got for the next couple of years? Do you know already?
1: No, not really. Well, with Bette, you know, she's still continuing in Las Vegas. I am working with a very, very high profiler, male rock and roller. But a lot of those guys don't want an audience to know that they are working with the choreographer. Now, you know, I've worked with Mick Jagger, I've worked with David Byrne, I've worked with David Bowie. Mm -hmm. And, you know, they're all a slightly different type of client. But some of the real hard rockers, they don't want their audience to know at all that, uh, you know, they're working. Now, with this particular artist who's actually quite extraordinary and quite brilliant. Um, We don't work with his music. Right. You know, we work, I just bring music in, we do steps and ideas, and he kind of gathers them up in his brain, and we work for a long period of time, so that spontaneously on the stage, he has, you know, a whole new arsenal of visual performance uh, from the last tour.
0: Is there anyone that you haven't worked with who you'd really give anything to work with?
1: I just have to think about that for a minute.
0: I mean, I thought, for instance, Elvis Presley or Michael Jackson... You no, would... I
1: worked with Elvis. You did? Yeah, yeah. On what? On his films. Goodness. Yeah. And what I was, was an he like? choreographer. Fabulous. Really fabulous. I was an assistant choreographer, so I was sent in, you know, he would learn the choreography if he was, you know, if it was with a woman, I would be the woman and I would work with him a lot. Wow. I worked with him a lot.
0: Which of his movies in particular?
1: Oh, Viva Las Vegas and others. Wow. I assisted David Winters, who choreographed his movies.
0: And what was your favourite moment with Elvis?
1: Telling him about the Rolling Stones.
0: Oh, right. Was he quite fascinated by them?
1: Yeah, I mean, I just said I saw them on Ed Sullivan the other night, and he said, what did you think? And I said, I liked them a lot. He acted as if he didn't watch the show, but I can't quite believe that.
0: (laughs) I'd like to go back right from the start. Are you from a family of, uh, of music, of dance?
1: All the above. My father was an orchestra leader, and my mother's side of the family were all, what you would say, acrobatic, comedic-type dancers. As a matter of fact, I was just looking up their names, Billy Wells and the Four Fays, or later on they were just called Wells and the Four Fays, and they did Ed Sullivan a couple of times, and they did Ed Sullivan on the show that the Beatles were on.
0: Wow. And does yeah, it go so back even further in your family as well, the dance thing?
1: No. As so far as that goes, my mother and her sisters and brothers, they were, as I said, acrobat comedians, and, and the, uh, my father was an orchestra leader. I don't know how you get in show business if you don't come from a show business family, and they certainly didn't, but they, you know, gave me a show business family.
0: Yeah, and presumably they were a half Italian family, I imagine.
1: My father was, you know, was Italian, Sicilian, and my mother's side of the family, they were all born in either New Zealand or Australia. Because
0: I love your real name, it's fabulous, and I'm surprised you wanted to change it for show Mm. business.
1: My father, as an orchestra leader, used Louis Basil, and that was never legally changed, so mine was never legally changed, but, you know, as a child growing up, I was Tony Basil, because that's, dad was the orchestra leader, Louis Basil, so... I never considered changing it back.
0: Were you an only child? Yes. That have an influence on the fact that you went into the business?
1: Well, I mean, you know, circus families, no matter how many p- kids they have, they all go into the business. But I think it was important for me, you know, as far as I was the child that was everything was kind of centered around. I mean, you know... I got sent to ballet class, I got sent to piano lessons, you know, and I always showed great promise, which of course, my theatrical family just just loved that, so, like my dad would always have me dance, I mean, even when I was five years old, he'd have me dance on the side of the stage with whoever act he was playing, and then they'd bring me out on stage, so I was always on stage, you know, I grew up in the business, literally grew up in the business.
0: So do you think your parents really wanted you to go on to be the kind of star that you have become?
1: Um, yeah. <laughs> I certainly do. <laughs> I certainly do.
0: Oh, And were you one of those
1: young girls
0: who was always making up little dance routines in her living room and so on for friends?
1: Absolutely. I would not stop dancing. I would not stop choreographing and inventing shows in my neighborhood, getting all the kids and designing shows and getting fabric out of my mother's closets or old costumes. Oh, my God, from the the very, very beginning.
0: Was there anything in particular that you saw, a movie or a show, that really sparked off your interest?
1: Well, I did love, interestingly enough, The Nicholas Brothers. I I remember seeing them in a a movie and when I was a child and I I actually, I liked them, I can't say better than Fred Astaire, but I dare to say maybe better than Fred Astaire because there was something about their emotional dance came from Mm. that just fascinated me. And of course, later on, I think, in retrospect, it was the street edge and the, you know, the self-taught dancer in them that uh, appealed so much to me, which, of course, you know, later on became, the, for me, the dance group, The Lockers.
0: And at school, were you in a lot of school productions and yeah. so on?
1: I was head cheerleader, always. Right. <laughs> I was always a cheerleader. And cheerleaders, you know, they organize and stage halftime entertainments, pep rallies, all of that. I always
0: imagine cheerleaders want to be cheerleaders because they want to get close to the football team, but you probably just because you wanted to dance, I imagine, and choreograph. no,
1: that's a wrong assumption. Okay. That's really a wrong assumption. Usually cheerleaders really come from the dance gene and really love performing and the dance because in America, you know, the cheerleaders are really quite proficient and it takes a lot of rehearsal Hmm. so it's not just you know bomb poms and running out and hugging the guys that's (laughs) it's not it at all
0: okay but you were born in philadelphia i believe and then you went to school in las vegas how did that work
1: yeah well i was born in philadelphia and then i we lived in new york chicago and then las vegas and those three places where my father was an orchestra leader so we we lived where my father had work
0: And how did you like Las Vegas being... I loved it. Yeah?
1: Yeah, I loved it. And I was head cheerleader at Las Vegas High, and I wear my letter sweater in the video Mickey. Because we're in Las Vegas with Bette Midler, I'm in contact with a lot of the kids I went to high school with.
0: That's amazing. Because
1: at the time, it was really a... It's a... In a way, a small town. The strip was one thing, and then the city and the town was another, you know?
0: And did anyone say to you when you were very young, other than your parents, of course, that there was something special about you, something sort of star quality you had?
1: Yeah. Yeah, my dance teacher, Edna Mm McRae, who was a very famous dance teacher in Chicago.
0: So she spotted your talent very early on. Oh,
1: yeah. Yes, I was always the little girl in the big girls' class.
0: What do you think you wanted to do, then, to be a movie star, to be a, a ballet dancer? What was your well, plan?
1: Yeah, yeah, you know, I always thought I'd be Mitzi Gaynor. Do <laughs> you know who that is?
0: Uh, I've heard of her, yeah.
1: Yeah, she's very famous, and I, I, I know her to this day, and she's a fabulous, fabulous woman. She was a big star, and, you know, in the, she did all the films with uh, Donald O'Connor and Sid Charisse, and she was a big star, the big mm. movie star, a musical movie star. But of course, by the time I really you know, came to L.A., it was kind of almost the end of that type of era, because that's exactly when Elvis started doing those kind of musicals. So, uh, you know, I started to assist immediately a guy, David Winters, who was choreographing Elvis and other AIP, all those beach movies.
0: So what took uh, you from school? I mean, did you get some kind of formal training as well?
1: Oh, or- my God. I went to dance class from the moment, uh, actually, too early. I think I started in New York at about five years old, and I, thats it's unnecessary to really start any kind of dance class until you're about nine or ten. Do
0: you think physically it's quite dangerous for you in terms of I wear mean, and yeah, tear? and
1: I don't think it accomplishes anything, because I think that starting at eight, nine, ten, uh, as opposed to five... By the time everybody is 12 and 13, they're already about the same level. Uh, there's a danger in starting too late. So that's a very difficult road. But
0: bearing in mind, you said you planned to become a, a dancer, or in, in movies or whatever, But so you actually started off acting, I believe. Isn't that right?
1: Well, I kind of. I had very separate careers in all yeah. these different genres. They never came together in a sense of acting, singing, and dancing... All in one thing. Yeah. Except when I did, you know, like when I played Anita in in West Side Story in a -hmm. a live show. You know, I was either a pop star or I was acting in films that didn't have any music, Mm -hmm. you know, in it. You know, everything was kind of separate, and, I, and, and and for years, people didn't realize the girl in Easy Rider was the same girl who did Mickey, mm. or the girl in the lockers was the same girl that is choreographing Bette Midler, you know what I mean? It was yep. all kind of separate careers, and to this day, I get separate email, an email about Mickey, with mm. a picture of Mickey, will you sign it, or... You know, sent something with Easy Rider, a picture. Will you sign this Easy Rider picture? And no mm-hmm. mention of Nikki. <laughs> you know, I'm not even sure that, that people really know it's the same person. <laughs> what
0: yeah. was your first break, do you think, in show and business? I,
1: yeah, I think it was meeting up with David Winters, this choreographer. And I began at really a young age assisting him and choreographing really major projects at a very very young age because i was young enough and because of cheerleading always into social dance and go-go dancing and all of that yet i was a heavily trained dancer Mm. and at that time period heavily trained dancers were not into any kind of street dance you know it was very separate as a matter of fact Quite frankly, until the 90s, until 1990, to learn any kind of street dance, whether it was popping or locking or, you know, in the old days, go-go and the twi- You had to go to clubs. Right. You had to know where, you know, those clubs were. There were, like, just clubs of great, great dancers. Hmm. And if you were a ballet dancer, you went to ballet class. And I used to go to ballet class at 11 in the hmm. morning. And then looking for the dance, the other kind of dance late at night. It wasn't until the 90s that any kind of street dancing and hip-hop started to be taught in any accredited dance studio. I mean, now a girl studying ballet, can she can go into the next dance studio mm. and learn hip-hop moves. So When I was growing up, that was that was just not possible
0: how did you go from kind of working in the background on films to actually appearing in them like you did with jack nicholson films
1: well the word is called audition (laughs) the word is really called audition i mean it does help if you know people or or if they go you know you might be right for this role would you come in and read for it but you know You take classes in cold reading and you take acting classes, you know? (laughs) So you can get those. So when those breaks come along, you can deliver.
0: Yeah. What's your best memory of Easy Rider then? What was that like?
1: That was a, a, a rough go because we shot the closing sequence. We shot the trip in the graveyard was the first thing we shot. Not even the dialogue in the horror house. But the actual trip in the graveyard, it was the first thing that was shot in the movie. And that was extremely intense. And we were in New Orleans. And there was not a lot of funding at the time. You know, I mean, Hmm. Karen Black and I were rooming together. I mean, we were all doubling up in rooms. And we had no hairdresser and no makeup person. And we were just doing everything ourselves. And as, you know, as the movie went along... Dennis and Peter got more funding for it, but everybody really, really worked worked for under scale. Mm. I mean, I can't imagine. It wasn't until later on that it was a hit that they gave us all a percentage of it, which I thought was extremely gracious yeah. of them because you don't find a production company that after the fact, without it being in your contract, that they give you a percentage of the film. And the very, very last thing that was shot in the film was the dialogue scene in the horror house. Mm. because that's when dennis and peter were back from because if you recall it was shot all around the country yeah 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 but that was shot actually in la in a in a house that replicated you know a new orleans type house
0: and what are your memories of jack nicholson working with him
1: well i didn't work with him in the film if you think about it i was not in his scenes yeah, was gonna... I, I know jack from acting class I mean, that's how I know Jack. And I know Dennis and Peter from the art scene, because, you know, in the 60s, it was a very... I mean, art and music and... I mean, it all was one thing. Yeah. I mean, the, the people who shot the Sgt. Pepper album cover... Uh, Michael Cooper was a very good friend of mine, and there are faces in that cover that were people I knew, mm-hmm. that Michael put in from the art scene. The arts and music and dance all were one big kind of collective clique.
0: And there were a couple of movies y- you know, you were naked in. Was that a big deal at the time, or do you regret it now?
1: Oh, no. Thank God I was naked then, because I sure as hell couldn't be naked now.
0: <laughs> I'm sure you're still very trim in the amount of what well, dancing. Well, I go to
1: class every single day, right. I want you to know. Yeah. But uh, it's not because, uh, it's because I'm quite addicted to dance. It, it sure. is my drug of choice. There is no doubt about it. And I love it so much, and, and, you know, because I continue to choreograph and, and direct, I feel as though if you're not in those classes or in those clubs or go to the crumping battles, which is the new street style of dance that you can only find out in the streets, you know, you're, you're, you're behind. You get behind the styles, and your work looks old.
0: Apart from Elvis, who were the other sort of early rock stars you worked uh, early on? Well,
1: you have to realise I was uh, an assistant choreographer on the first year of Shindig.
0: Right, yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: So, I mean, I met everybody. And I also was the assistant choreographer on the Tammy show, and that's where I met the Stones. I met Mick the week after I told Elvis that I had seen the Stones on, <laughs> on Ed Sullivan.
0: And how was Mick with you? Fabulous.
1: Really? Fabulous, and... His last music video, uh, he and I worked together on. Oh, so, really? I mean, we have remained friends and I'm pleased to say working friends throughout the years, throughout the decades.
0: Now, critics often say that the Rolling Stones should stop, that they're too old now Please. and stuff. What do you say to that?
1: <laughs> I think, well, to me, uh, Mick always looks the same to me. Hmm. His looks were so unique that it's, he he doesn't have a kind of look to me that ages, it's just, he's always been so unique and exotic looking, and his movements have always been like Michael Jackson's, so his own, that to me, he's never dated, he's never been dated, and he never will be dated, and I think As long as, you know, he sounds great, moves great, the band plays great, and they fill a stadium, which God only knows they do, (laughs) why in the hell shouldn't they be out there? (laughs) It's an audience that is going to tell them if they don't want them.
0: You mentioned Michael Jackson just now. When Michael Jackson died a few weeks ago, it was said in the papers that uh, you were the person that, that invented the moonwalk, that you taught it to David Bowie many, many years before. (laughs) <laughs> um, what's what's the truth about that?
1: That is not any... I can't imagine how that would come about. Actually, the people that I know taught Michael Jackson the moonwalk is these two kids that were on Soul Train called Casper and Cooley. And they were two dancers that locked mm-hmm. as well as popped and did the electric boogaloo. And Michael was interested, when he saw the electric boogaloo, in learning the electric boogaloo style of dance michael already used the robot and locked. he already had used that and so he got in contact with soul train and uh, they sent over casper and cooley and i'm writing a book on the history of american street dance and casper and cooley sent me a copy of the check that michael paid them for a week's worth of lessons
0: and how much is the check for
1: I think the check was $1,000. I have to look again, but it it wasn't, you know, it was at the time, it was a a good-sized check.
0: Yeah? Did you work with Michael
1: Jackson? No, I didn't, but I had many, many friends that worked with him. One of the main ones was a guy by the name of Bruno Falcon, known as Popping Taco. Taco was one of the people that always worked with Michael, that also, you know, coached Michael, and he many times would be what they would call a dance-in for Michael. In other words, if Michael could not make it to rehearsal or if people were trying things out choreographically, they would try them out on Taco because Taco knew how to dance like Michael and did other things. He was an extraordinary electric boogaloo and popper one of the greatest
0: some people and, say that michael jackson's the greatest some people say fred Astaire's the greatest who do you think is in your yeah, opinion
1: are individuals i mean michael and fred astaire were both extraordinary but they were different kinds of dancers
0: who's your favorite then of all time
1: i think there's really not a favorite because there's favorites in different genres of dance you know i mean you, I, I can never say that i have a favorite it's like apples and oranges which do mm. like better you know it's the best orange and the best apple
0: but michael jackson's performance at that was at mtv awards when he did the moon dance when, he did, when he did the
1: moonwalk which yeah. was really correctly called the backslide the yeah. moonwalk is a different step there was mm. a step there <laughs> is a step that is called the moonwalk in the street dance community that is similar to to the backslide, but it goes in a circle, slide that goes in a circle, that's what is considered the moonwalk in the correct terminology, and the particular step Michael did was the backslide, but I saw the backslide done in a street dance context in 1978 by Boogaloo
0: Sam. And uh, David Bowie, you know, we obviously love him over here because he's one of ours, what's your favorite memory of him?
1: Look, David Bowie is so extraordinarily brilliant yeah. that probably more more than anybody did I have to stay up at nights to do my homework. Because if I didn't walk in the day with total ideas and alternative ideas mm-hmm. David, quite frankly, could do my job for me. Right. David can do anybody's job for them. He could light the show. He could do the sets. He could do the costumes. He could do the choreography. He doesn't ha- you know, he needs people around him to contribute this, these ideas. But I tell you, if we weren't there, he could do it all himself. All himself. And, and I have so many extraordinary memories of him, and they are all so... He, so intensely creative. I was brought over to England to meet him in in po- possibly working with him in the future because right. I had a reputation of being really new, hot, and creative, and yep. cute, and all of the above. <laughs> and we met, we got along, and then on his next project he called me and he said, I've got this song, Diamond Dogs, you know? <laughs> Do you think I, I could my background singer's on leashes, I said, absolutely. What a brilliant idea. Why not? He said, well, the last choreographer I talked to said it was absolutely an impossible idea, and he didn't want to touch it. I said, why? We can do great things with you, you know, up on scaffolding and throwing down these ropes, and think about the ropes making geometric shapes from two stories up, you know? Your head doesn't have to go to bondage, although we love the idea of it going to bondage at the end, but we turned it around. The dogs put him in bondage by wrapping him up in in the ropes he was holding him on. You know, I mean, we had great, great creative moments, but my most favorite creative moment that came out of that is we were rehearsing that number, Mm -hmm. and the next number following was Panic in Detroit, right. and we hadn't yet decided creatively what we would do with it, and after he finished Diamond Dogs, and the music, like this is in rehearsal, and the music hit, you know, started up for Panic in Detroit, he looked at me with this, I could see the light bulb go on on the top of his head, yeah. you know, the our cartoon, where yeah, the yeah, light yeah. Bl- I mean, I could see it in his face. And he looked at me, and I thought, oh, my God, he's got got an idea. Something has hit him. Hmm. And he unwrapped himself from these ropes, and he held the ropes up and looked at me, and then he grabbed a chair, and he started wrapping the ropes around the chairs with this grin on his face, like, I'm going to show you something that you're not going to believe. And he started... To make out of these, because you realize they were extremely long ropes, long Mm -hmm. enough to reach from the second story to the ground. Mm -hmm. You know, they were extremely long. And what he did is he grabbed these chairs that were around the rehearsal studio and he made a boxing ring. And then he stood in the middle of this boxing ring and sang Panic in Detroit and proceeded to box it out. It was the most extraordinary moment I think I've ever witnessed of an artist spontaneously creating a complete idea from set to choreography (laughs) to concept in a single idea within improvising the whole moment in three minutes. I will never forget it. I will never forget witnessing David Bowie creating Panic in Detroit, ever. And it was such a lesson to me in spontaneity and being open and how you you need to work. For me to witness that and for, for me to see an artist do that, I will never forget that. I mean, we approached that number so artistically. Mm. and. Every moment of the Diamond Dogs number was an unexpected surprise. Yeah. Every moment and every vision of it went in the opposite direction you thought it was going to go.
0: Yeah. Unpredictable.
1: Unpredictable from moment to moment to moment, which is really great theater. And, you know, that is what great theater is about. To keep an audience on the edge of their seats. I mean, you know, things don't have to go to that gen- uh, to a generic place.
0: Yeah, I've just been watching your Mickey video again on YouTube, and uh, uh-huh. and I, I was just wondering, you know, the bit where the girls are lying on the floor opening and closing their legs. I'm wondering if that caused you any difficulty uh, in those know. days.
1: No, I always wanted to start a rumor that one of those girls didn't have any underwear that day. <laughs> <laughs> I never did, because the song was such a hit, I never really needed to start any kind of rumor about it at all, but I just, even the day we shot it, which of course we had no idea it was going to be a hit, I shot three, two other videos that day.
0: You say you didn't know it was going to be a hit but couldn't you tell it no. was incredibly no. catchy song
1: No just like we didn't know Easy Rider was going to change the face of you know movie sure. movies and and no you don't go you don't go hey this song is going to you know last uh, you know every decade that'll come in the future Oh my god no as a matter of fact that record the record company begged me not to put the chant on the song, oh, Mickey, you're so fine, you're so fine, you blow my mind. They felt like it was going to ruin the song, and I said, you know, I was signed to a video album deal, and I was looking for songs that matched creative ideas. In other words, I approached that album visually, Mm. because I had to do a music video for every song before the album was released.
0: So how did that song come your way? Because bearing in mind it was a kind
1: of a I cover looking, of another song. Yes. I, well, I was looking for a song because I wanted to do a cheerleader video. And I was looking for a song I could put a cheerleader chant on. I knew that I wasn't going to run across a song with a cheerleader chant already in it. So I was looking for a song that I could put that in front of. And uh, I ran across that song called Kitty, which was we, I just changed to Mickey just so I'd be singing about a guy instead of a girl.
0: So did you yeah. write the lyrics then to Mickey?
1: No, no, no. The, the original song w- was... was um, Racy. There you go. Yeah, Chin and it, Chapman. Uh, it was originally yeah. called Kitty, but I did yeah. write the chant. Okay. I wrote the chant. Right. I, I put the, the cheerleader chant on, on the front of it so that it congealed with the concept of having doing a cheerleader-type video.
0: Um,
1: I was a cheerleader at Las Vegas High, and I always thought... That the stomping and the echo in the basketball courts would make such a good song.
0: And how did your old school respond to the song, to the hit?
1: Oh, they loved it. Yeah. To this day, they loved it. Yeah, they love it that it's, you know. I mean, I'm wearing their Arletta sweater. I'm wearing LVHS on my chest.
0: You've still got the sweater, haven't you? Oh, yeah. Do you still get it out from time to time?
1: It's in my wardrobe closet. So, yeah. you know, I, I sometimes get it out for MTV will come over and do an interview because they're doing a thing on, you know, girls, cheerleader girls or rock and roll girls. Hey, do you have that sweater? Can you get it out? Can you hold it up? It's right, it's, it's right here. If, we, if, if you were on Skype and I was on Skype, I could show it to you. For one thing, that song has never been dated. Cheerleader chants to this day, are the same from 19... Whenever I did it, what, in, in, in the late 70s? Yeah, but yeah. I, I recorded it in the late 70s and yeah. shot it. And I mean, the cheerleader chants in the big cheerleader competitions today, they're still the same. Actually, I just... Uh, I choreographed something for a kid's show, Zach and Cody, which is a very big kid's show. And uh, I was YouTubing, oh, cheerleading, because they have cheerleading championships now all around the world, and I YouTubed a cheerleading championship in China, and they were using Mickey. God. In China, and they were using Mickey.
0: How much did you hope the music career would really take off for you? How, I mean, the, you must have really enjoyed the success of Mickey. No, and
1: no, you know, you, you, I, I experienced the success of Mickey More now than I ever did then. Because for one thing, you know, now by it it remaining such an iconic song, it's different for me. But at the time that I was promoting, because it was for an English record company and we were promoting all around, I was never in the country. I was never in the same country when it was a hit. Mm. I was always in the next country promoting it. Mm. So I never really got to experience how much of a hit it was yeah because I was never in that country at the time so that's why I say now I experience it more
0: it must have affected your recognition factor though you must have been it
1: did it, it, did, it did change that did change as, as a choreographer which you're behind the scenes and being in front of the scenes it changed but it, it's been more of a lasting change now for me because i still as a choreographer and director i'm probably more visibly noted than other choreographers that obviously have not had a hit record
0: and how, how much did it affect the demand for you as a choreographer that uh, fantastic well, the video the
1: thing is is it, di- it it didn't change that much david asked me in the middle of my musical career to do the Let's Dance tour, the one he did with Niles Rogers, yep. but I couldn't. I wasn't available. Tina asked me to work for her. I wasn't available, and Bett asked me to work for her, and I wasn't available. And so it didn't help it in the sense that I wasn't available, because I was doing, you know, I did two BBC specials for you guys. So I was pretty busy, you know, I was co-directing them. So I was co-directing them, conceptualizing them, choreographing them, and uh, editing them. Hmm. And that's a full-time job. That's about four people's jobs. (laughs) But
0: were you a little bit disappointed that the the pop career didn't
1: You don't don't know it's not happening in a strange way, because it it was more uh, a a, a legal problem of my, so, so to speak, parent record company going bankrupt and then selling me off or leasing me off to other companies, and so it was a process of a legal problem of not getting momentum again. But then when I was available, I was choreographing and directing. Yeah. So I, I, you know, I was always in the business. It, it's, it was never like, I guess, with other singers that don't have any other career in the business where all of a sudden they're not in the business. I was never not in the business. I'm, never, you know, I'm either acting in it or choreographing it or doing something. So and because I come from a show business family as long as I'm in show business I think I'm in business, you know.
0: Do you still perform, Mickey, ever?
1: Yes. Any time anybody has a check.
0: Okay. How much do you want?
1: <laughs> um I kind of want a lot of money because uh I love to get the championship cheerleaders together, yeah. we love to rehearse and uh so it's always a big a big epic, you know, to uh to, to put together a mickey at an event.
0: When Madonna had her song True Blue out, I thought about Mickey, and, and then the Ting Tings...
1: Why, why? Why did you think that? Well, it
0: has that kind of feel to it, but then the okay. Ting Tings last year with that I Know Your Name or whatever, it, that has the sort of beat of Mickey, doesn't it?
1: Uh-huh. Avril Lavigne had a song that was similar, too.
0: Yeah. It must be very flattering.
1: I'm happy. Yeah. A Rolling Stone actually said, who, who, would, who would have ever guessed Tony Basil would have set a genre you know, of style yeah. that somebody like Avril Lavigne would, would, would do. I thought, well, good, that rock and roll girl legitimized me again. You know, it was, hmm. it's, all, it's all fabulous.
0: Have you worked with Madonna at all?
1: No, I, I never have. We, we were going to actually have a meeting. I think it was before Truth and Dare. I think it was in right. 1994, but I was in the middle of, of, of choreographing one of Bette's tours. And I, I, I saw no way of working for the two women simultaneously. Not that she had asked me, but she asked about a meeting.
0: To go back uh, to the 80s, if I may, um, that fabulous video you did with uh, David Byrne, how did you come up with that amazing dance that he did? Was that something yeah. you just you wake up in the middle of the night and you have this idea? Now-
1: no, you see, once again, it's collaboration with the artist.
0: Yeah, he's a very clever guy too, isn't he?
1: Oh, he's he's brilliant, hmm. and we have remained friends, you know, throughout the years, and and, and work together off and on as much as as much as I can with him because, you know, with all those people, it's it's always a learning experience. Yeah. Um, you know, it's like one hand washes the other. I mean, you re- I really gain from working with these people. But no, David's idea. It was uh, David's idea to. Research movement of people in trances, whether they're in trances as, you know, in Pentecostal churches or whether it's in, you know, the shamans where they work with snakes and like go into trances. So we went to movement from that that he wanted to work on and then he would work on those movements and then I would look at them and elaborate some ideas or say well we could shoot it from this angle and it would look like this so it was quite a collaborative effort and it was his choice of movements and ideas so as many people think I choreographed that I really took more of a role in collaboration and directing it with David and David really because he he is an improvisational artist and he's a mover but he's not a dancer so when you work with those kind of people you must you don't give them your steps you you develop with them their steps no you don't give a mick jagger your step you give him ideas he starts developing and then you go yes that looks good on you or hey now a lot of times with guys like david or with a mick i I might approach them uh, more as an actor More like saying this is your, think of Nosferatus in the chorus here, or, you know, with with, with a David Bowie. Hey, this is, this instrumental break, it's your David, it's your James Dean moment. So then something else happens physically where they start moving or hit a pose like James Dean. You know, you don't have to, there's no need to approach an actor for movement without including acting.
0: Tony, what's your favorite of all the videos you've made, or you've been involved in making?
1: Well, I mean, the most lasting one for myself, for myself personally, was Mickey. The most iconic one was, of course, the David Byrne one, Once in a Lifetime. Yep. And so much with with Bowie, but probably the last video I worked with Mick on was maybe one of the top ten most fun. So, you know, they all have different... You all have a different reason for a favourite... It's like a child. How can you ask a mother sure. who her favourite child
0: was? Sure. And uh, you've worked on many movies as well. Is there one particular scene on any movie you've worked with that...
1: Well, I'm, I mean, you know, of course, I re- the most I remember w- w- was The Graveyard in Easy Rider. There's no doubt about it. I mean...
0: But from, from a choreography point intense. of
1: view... did I had a lot of fun. Uh, I, I mean... You know, all those AIP films, and I guess then the, uh, the thing I did for Tom Hanks' his first director yeah. project, which was that thing you do, we got to reinvent, I got to reinvent all the AIP films that I did. You know, because that was a take-off on that era.
0: What about My Best Friend's Wedding? Did you do the bit where...
1: I, I did the opening piece, yes. That was really wonderful for me. That was yeah. great. Because I was able to set up the uh, camera shots.
0: And we have this uh, amazing hit program, Dancing with the Stars, in America. Well, I'm surprised you're not a judge on that. What, what...
1: Well, you know, I got to tell you, I w- came close to it. Yeah. I yes, from, from you know, it, it was just turned out to be Carrie Ann Inaba.
0: Right. And how did what you I feel said, about that and
1: you've got to remember that they brought bruno and uh len i mean your two two of your your original judges became two of ours so that for us there was only one spot open and uh as i said <laughs> it could have been her or me and it was her
0: were you a bit annoyed about that
1: no because you just don't it's the same thing you don't know when you do a song or when you're in a movie or when you go to an audition what the result, years later, of that song is. Hmm. Or will that movie be an easy rider? Or will that thing you audition for, for a judge, be the dancing American idol? You don't know these things. I approach everything uh, just for the love of the work. You can't, because you don't know. So if you're not artistically driven... And I can't explain what that means. It doesn't mean that you're driven to do something good so you get your picture in the paper. It's just not how artists work.
0: What do you think of those programs, like Dancing with the Stars and So You Think You Can Dance?
1: Well, I am a reoccurring judge on So You Think You Can Dance. And um, I love it because an audience starts to realize what and how difficult dance is and also the networks realize that dance can completely drive a show mm. that a dancer does not need to be behind a singer that's driving the show that mm. dance itself is an equal discipline to all the other arts mm. it just so happens it doesn't make that kind of money it doesn't it doesn't have that hit record royalty and the business only respects money
0: do you have your own dance studio somewhere where people
1: i i i don't dare because i like to go to class i go to class every single day and uh if i taught and had a dance studio you just start sitting in an office and running the studio and when i'm not out there choreographing i really want to be dancing and because i don't perform you know that much at all i mean the only way i can dance is go to class
0: and how long have you lived in Los Angeles for? Mm,
1: since 1994. No, earlier than that. Since, my God, what am I even thinking? I was, I'm in this house since 1994. No, I've been, I've been living in Los Angeles since I got out of high school.
0: May we know what your house is like? Is it a great big mansion in Bel Air or what?
1: No, it's not. I live on a choreographer's salary because I've never really seen a dime from the record. Right. Really? I've just seen notoriety. So I have a, a, a very modest but beautiful two-bedroom house and I have a video room where I keep all my research material Mm -hmm. and the garage is a very oversized garage that I made into a dance studio that I can rehearse in but it's very modest. I'm from a show business family. We've earned our living in show business and I continue to earn my living. You know, my life is really good. I am so grateful for everything. I'm so grateful for dance and for my talent and, and for my friends and for my cats and for my jobs. And most of all, I am so grateful and lucky for my health, which has always been extraordinary. But I think it has a lot to do with my, my habits, you know? I mean, I don't take drugs and I don't drink and, and I don't smoke. And, and I, my drug of choice is dance. Good and too. that's what I do. And, I, and it just... Not that I behave myself, it's just that those are my desires, Ooh. and they're good They're good habits.
0: And it's your birthday this month. How, how do you feel I about... Uh, I
1: don't even know. Uh, I have no idea my sign, I have no idea about my birth date, and a lot of people have it <coughs> wrong because over the years I don't celebrate it.
0: So you can't tell me what the real one is then? No. <laughs> Fair enough.
1: And I don't want a card.
0: No, I will not I even anything.
1: want to be reminded I'm, I, The most fun for me is when I just sign a check Or look in my day-to-day book And I went, oh, forgot, it was my birthday last week
0: Do you think you'll ever stop dancing, choreographing?
1: I hope not I really, really hope not
0: How do you view the future of dance? Sometimes it's hard to see beyond what's already happened And think, can there be anything else? I mean. Oh
1: no, 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 no The novice might think that but anybody in the know knows there's always things brewing. Right. Always things. And it's usually out in the streets with the street dancers. Right. Because they are... Co- See, street dance constantly comes from a place of improvisation. And improvisation always causes change. Hmm. The music causes... You know, a change in music causes a dancer, a street dancer, to create a new step that goes with it. A change in a shoe style from platform to a low heel changes a dance style. So the streets always set the pace. Hmm. And usually what's, what's happening in the streets starts to surface two to five years later out in the contemporary video world.
0: Have you ever lived in England?
1: No, but I've st- been there for quite a long you know, periods of time while I was doing my BBC specials, like months at a time. I'd loved to find a job or to do a job that would take me there, you know, for uh, for a period of time. It's just all, like, from David Bowie and uh, Mick Jagger, I've always worked with them in America. I've never, you know, worked with them in, in, in the U.K. So all the English artists I've worked with, I just seem to work with here. I just love to be there because I love, I love the U.K. I really do. I love it.
0: And the UK loves you, well, rest assured.
1: Uh, they've been good to me. Yeah. They've been good to me. If it wasn't for the UK, I wouldn't have recorded Mickey, and it was for the, because of the BBC asking me to do a special. Before Mickey was a hit, because they saw my videos, if it wasn't for the UK, I would not have the pop career and the notoriety I have today. I have the UK to really thank for that.
0: That's nice. And and to what extent do you feel you've been given the credit that you deserve for your career?
1: I think that as the years go by, um, I get more and more credit. I got the living legend of (laughs) hip-hop in the most prestigious hip-hop championship competition in in Congress. Uh, That actually, you know the uh, show America's Best Dance Crew? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, well, that's the that's the competition that it comes out of. Oh, fantastic! And so it's really incredible. And MC Hammer had been presented with it last year. And Cool Herc, which was the DJ that invented scratching and the groove that created breaking, has been awarded with it. Um, the creator of uh, Boogaloo Sam, the creator of the Electric Boogaloo, mm-hmm. uh, was awarded with it. So I am in. Experience extraordinary company Hmm. and it was a a really great uh, just such a humbling moment for me, I, I can't tell you I just can't tell you so, you know, as the years go by it's all surfacing and as I said, people are starting to go oh my god, you know there's Easy Rider and that was the beginning of the change of film and then there was Mickey, which really was the beginning of the change of, you know music video and I feel like I've been on the the cutting edge of so much and worked with extraordinary people that have really changed the face of theater from Bowie to David Byrne to Tina and to Bette. And I just, you know, I feel as though it's really come together for me in the last couple of years in a really richly rewarding way. I, I, I can't tell you. And as I said, if it wasn't for the UK, I wouldn't have the the notoriety I have today.
0: Would you like there to be a theatre named after you one day, or even a Tony Basil Museum or something?
1: Right, right, of course, but I mean, isn't that? I mean, who would imagine anything like that? I think you know, <laughs> I'd probably have to win the lotto and uh, name it myself.
0: <laughs> oh, oh, I thought maybe your house one day might be turned into like a Graceland. Uh, I is,
1: don't know whether the zoning would allow it.
0: Right. <laughs> <laughs> And, um, you know, hopefully many, many decades to come. How would you like people to remember you after you left this planet?
1: Well, I mean, uh, you know, hopefully I I produced change in in theatre and in dance and enjoyment.
0: How do you feel about the fact that most people will probably remember you for Mickey? I mean, considering all the...
1: Hey, that produced a lot of change itself. Yeah. Yeah, and, and, uh, you know, in the beginning Mickey was considered a... um, like itsy bitsy, teeny weeny, polka dot, the yeah. kind of... Novelty. Energetic.
0: Novelty song.
1: A novelty song. That's in it. the beginning, it was it was thought to be a novelty song because it was so different and there was no category hmm. that you could really put it in. Hmm. It, made, it was a, it, it was a category all of its own. And, of course, it made inroads for women in, in dance... As far as video, I mean, all of a sudden, people, you know, uh, started dancing in video. Females weren't dancing in video before that. And it made inroads in, in music and in a genre of music and in a style of video, which was the white background. And, of course, it's become an iconic tune and used over and over again in commercials and, you know, whatever. So in the beginning, it was considered a novelty, and now it's, you know, considered an anthem. So the song, the song has, uh, has just grown.
0: Has legs.
1: Yeah, the song has legs.
0: <laughs> Thank you very much. It's been a real pleasure to talk to you.
1: Well, uh, you know, there's nothing I like to do more than dance, than to talk about it.
0: Oh, good for you. It's
1: true. Yeah, yeah. It's really true. It's, it's been the great love of my life, my addiction, my drug, my lover.